Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. Before we start, I just want to give a quick update. We're going to be switching to one episode released on the last Sunday of every month. We'll be focusing more on interviews and audience questions. So if you have any suggestions for interviews or episode topics, reach out to us via email at genzerstalkpolitics at gmail.com, our Facebook page, on Instagram at genzerstalkpolitics, or on Twitter at genzerstalkpoly with an I. And now, onto the show. So we're just going to go over three bills in Congress, one that's been fully passed, one that's halfway there, and one that's just been introduced. So we're going to start off with the CHIPS Act that's been passed through all of Congress after a year gridlock, and I believe Biden's about to sign it at the time we're recording. So we talk about semiconductors and um, you know microchips for computers and phones a lot, both in the show and in the world at large especially with the COVID supply chain issues still lingering and the tensions between China and Taiwan, where a lot of the chips are fabricated, are actually made in Taiwan under the uh, TSMC company. So the bill that just passed, the CHIPS Act, is supposed to address a lot lot of these concerns that we are not going to be able to get enough chips to to fuel our economy because everything now has chips, has this important piece of machinery that runs the world economy. Right. And with this act um, promoting semiconductor production domestically within the United States, it goes to show how foreign policy and economic decisions are closely intertwined, especially in this era of globalization where you have significant manufacture of goods outside of one's own country. And as we see with this decision, the care is a risk as it's dependent on diplomatic relations. And since there's a lot of tension now, especially between Taiwan and China, a recent example of this is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi proposing to do a visit to Taiwan and how uh, this idea of her visiting would be extremely controversial and might actually lead to military action by China. So that's an example of controversy between the two nations and why it would be in the United States' best interests to actually manufacture semiconductors. But I'll tell you, Jacob, the thing that surprises me the most is that House, House Republicans the House Minority Whip Stephen Scalise, he was actually whipping members to vote against it, which surprises me because Republicans have been very vocal about producing American, about relying on domestic production goods and services, of kind of distancing yourself from China and from any geopolitical risks it may have. But when it came to actually vote on the bill, that would create jobs and that would promote this industry here in the United States. A vast majority of Republicans in the House voted against it. They were trying to actually kill it. So it's a complete shock to me. I would really think it'd be more bipartisan. Right. Republicans have taken a more uh, uh, protectionist, nationalist route. But even as someone who loves globalization, who loves the idea of free trade, we do need to have address all contingencies. We need to address every possible scenario we can think of for how everything's going to impact the world economy and our economy. So yeah, it is kind of stupid that all these Republicans who are about national security, who are supposedly about you know, giving Americans jobs here in the United States and not shipping them abroad are going against this. And what's interesting is that a lot of what's happening with the chip industry, you know, we used to be able to produce a lot of the chips. Quoting Washington Post here, in the White House meeting with business and labor leaders Monday, 
Commerce Secretary uh, Junior Raimondo noted that the United States used to make 40% of the world's chips, but now makes about 12%. And to quote her, essentially none of the leading edge chips, which come entirely from Taiwan. This is kind of fascinating. This bill gives about $280 billion worth in domestic manufacturing. $52 billion will be for fabrication labs, basically what the, what the Taiwanese uh, company does for chips, we're gonna to try to do it here in America. So it is honestly fascinating how Republicans, who many of them still voted for this bill. There are still a sizable number of that caucus, of that party that still voted for this bill, but many of them did not. It is a contradiction that is really just about partisan politics. It, is about it wasn't only that, it wasn't only a portion. The establishment, meaning the House, the, the Republican whip, Stephen Scalise, who, you know, is an extension of Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Minority Leader. I mean, it goes to show that in terms of the establishment of the House Republicans, they were trying to actually kill it. So that's what really surprised me, because I think it's in everybody's best interest that in a time of rising escalation, a time of, you know, when U.S. manufacturing is at risk significantly, as it really has been for decades, you know, I think it would be in everybody's best interest to promote semiconductor production here. So I don't understand, I, like, like you mentioned, Jacob, this might very well be just about owning the libs or something like that, because it makes no sense to me why a significant portion would vote against it. But now it's passed, it's, gonna, it's Biden's desk now, it is going to be, there was a big article about how South Korean company is gonna be investing billions into the United States as a result of this bill. We could have the heartland reopen with fabrication labs. You know, that's just a pipe dream, but who knows? So the second bill, is the Respect for Marriage Act that has been passed by the House and is currently in waiting for the Senate. We don't know what's going to happen with that because we're about to get into August recess at a time of recording. So we don't know. What the bill does is that it tries to put a legislative rubber stamp on the legalization of gay marriage nationwide and even interracial marriage. Because after the Dobbs decision, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in, uh, I believe it was a concurring opinion. Yes. Right, that he said cases such as uh, Oberville that legalized gay marriage nationwide would could be up for debate again. And that was a 5-4 decision back in 2015. And now we have a 6-3 conservative majority, 5-4 to four when you take out Justice Roberts. So this is a big deal. And when it passed the House, not even 50 Republicans voted for it. 50 of like, what, 200? Not even a quarter voted for the bill, which is honestly pathetic, given that 70% of Americans in polls to support uh, the legalization of gay marriage nationwide. Well, uh, you're certainly right about that. And I think there are actual worse implications from this, because the reason why less than 50 House Republicans voted for it is because, you know, they, they're probably going to be held accountable when it comes to this sort of vote, because it's a very important cultural issue to many of their constituents. So the implication is, is that a substantial portion of Americans might be opposed to or might not necessarily be in support of these ideas of you know interracial marriage or even same-sex marriage so it just goes to show that you know the fight for uh, lgbtq rights the fight for you know racial marriage it did not end in 2015 it did not end all those years ago it's still an ongoing fight and i think you know the overturning of roe v wade and like you mentioned clarence thomas writing that all these other elements like same-sex marriage interracial marriage are under threat now you know, it goes to show that we're very much at risk of just completely backsliding. But here's the thing. There isn't this actual sizable minority that's against gay marriage in and of itself. The Republican Party literally had in its platform in 2016 
in 2020 because they copied it from 2016. A new line that basically said, you know, we don't, you know, basically we don't care about gay marriage anymore. That's not something we're going to work against anymore. And that was under Trump. It's also the fact that it, that this bill, practically, what it does is it repeals the infamous Defense of Marriage Act that originally said marriage is between one man and one woman, and that was the 1990s. It was signed by Bill Clinton, and it was introduced by this former Republican congressman that now, currently is in support of the Respect for Marriage Act. He disowns his own bill. Bill Clinton disowned his own, the own bill he, he signed as president in, in, the, in the 90s. There was a story about this Republican congressman today who voted against the Respect for Marriage Act today, this past week, went to his son's, son's wedding. His son is gay, and his son is, is marrying another man. So I, I don't know. It, this is not about ideology. It's not about the size of a minority of Americans who actually care about gay marriage is a moral issue. It's just to own the libs. Same thing with the CHIPS Act. It's, it's about owning the libs and about partisanship. And that's why this party deserves to die. This party does not deserve to have this place of, oh, we're, it's going to automatically win in the House because of incumbency bias. That doesn't deserve that. It doesn't deserve our respect. This is not actual opposition. This is just, you know, kayfabe. It is just like the CHIPS Act. I mean, it's become a complete partisan fight. You know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, these Republican congressmen didn't even look at the merits of the bill before deciding whether they would vote for, you know, before deciding they would vote against it. It's very much just become a complete partisan fight. And I agree that, you know, the Republican Party has completely lost all its credibility. But the problem is, is that it continues to be one of the two major parties in the United States politics, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. So it just begs the question of, you know, it's not a matter of can we get Republicans to work with Democrats to work on legislation, but a matter of how can people work without Republicans to get anything done of any kind. And now we turn to our final bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. This was introduced in the past 24 or 48 hours as when we're recording this. And what this basically is, is the fabled Manchin-Schumer Compromise. And after a year and a half of gridlock, because it's a 50-50 Senate, and Joe Manchin rejected a lot of what Biden had in Build Back Better, the big social spending bill that he had to invest in everything from climate to drug pricing to IRS tax enforcement and uh, new tax laws, this is supposed to be the bill to get Manchin to agree to passing something of Biden's agenda. And so to summarize it, it has a 15% minimum corporate tax that tries to hold companies to account of paying the corporate tax. It allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices to try to bring costs down for Americans. And it caps out-of-pocket costs Americans normally have to pay to $2,000. So anyone in Medicare could get cheaper health care. It extends Obamacare subsidies to 2025, which means that Americans will pay less on Ob- using Obamacare. Americans will pay less for uh, health care premiums. There's also going to be $300 billion worth of pure deficit reduction, which means that the United States usually pays a lot and it doesn't get taken as much in taxes. And so the $300 billion will well lower this gap, will lower the deficit that's carried over year after year, which makes up the total trillions of dollars worth of debt that the U.S. has. And then the big item, the big thing everyone's talking about is the energy and climate provisions. This is what everyone said was going to kill it because Manchin's from West Virginia. West Virginia is historically a coal mining state. Manchin has been very, let's just say, waffling on this particular set of items alone. It's not everything people like us want, but it's something. And 
it includes $369 billion worth of tax credits for electric vehicles, heat pumps to replace ACs, but also includes some credits for fossil fuels and opening up some federal land for uh, oil and gas to placate Manchin, to placate his concerns. There's also grants to states to for decarbonizing on their own accord. In total, there will be a 40% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030, up from the 30% reduction we, we're on track to hit right now if this bill is not passed. So that is huge. Again, it's not everything. It's definitely lacking in areas. It's definitely not everything we should do, but it's definitely something. It's the largest federal investment in climate change ever if this bill is passed the way it is. Joshua, what do you what do you think? What do you think of these ideas? And is there anything else that you want to highlight here? Well, first off, I think it's definitely a piece of good news. Like you mentioned, it's not everything, but it's definitely a huge step in the right direction. Um, but obviously, uh, considering the state of U.S. politics nowadays, I I am not thinking that we get this across the finish in the Senate because even though we have Joe Manchin on board with this, and obviously the rest of the Democrats and Sanders and, uh, sorry, the independents are obviously on board with this. Um, the one big player that I don't know about is Cinema, uh, the senator from Arizona. And she's also been really waffling on pretty much everything Democrats have been putting forward. If there's no Christian Cinema, then um, there is no bill. In terms of uh, inflation reduction, I actually want to talk a little about, about inflation because we've received some news recently about the state of the economy and inflation. So, um, we got figures yesterday that say that, uh, once again, um, the GDP has decreased for the second economic quarter in a row. For most economists, uh, when you have a decrease in GDP for two economic quarters in a row, that means you are officially in a recession. However, um, the White House and Jerome Powell are claiming that we are not in a recession, and this has prompted a lot of confusion. The Bureau of Economic Activity, which renders decisions on whether we're in a recession or not, has not officially decided. I'm not sure what they're going to decide. We'll have to wait and see. But um, many think, you know, a possible recession will be short. And the Federal Reserve has recently hiked up interest rates significantly. In fact, the highest since 1994 was even more expected. The Federal Reserve should have acted sooner. But, you know, Jerome Powell said at the beginning that he thought inflation was transitory. So he didn't act. The Federal Reserve didn't act. But the good news is, is that gas prices are finally going down. That's good. And um, with recurring supply chain issues and the fact that families have saved a lot of money during the during lockdown, you know, you have you know supply side issues and demand side issues. So it's unclear as to how longer, how much longer we'll have these economic woes. But um, we'll have to wait and see. But along the background of this bill, if you know, with gas prices going down, I think we could have a set of good news coming towards us in a very short period of time. But we'll have to wait and see. The inflation thing for a second. That was the main thing Manchin was worried about when he was negotiating with Schumer on this bill. And someone from the, the nonpartisan committee for responsible federal budget did the rough estimates from just the uh, outline of the bill. We're going to have more information once once the text is fully released and everyone gets to work on it. But as of right as of what I can say, what he said, it's deflationary overall, very deflationary, which means that there's going to be less inflation, which means that it actually achieves what the title says. That's definitely something. You're right. Gas prices are falling. You know, it's disinflation. It's coming. Inflation is coming back slowly but surely back to that two to three percent target rate that the Federal Reserve wants inflation to be at year over year. Um, yeah. Although um, the Federal Reserve doesn't expect it to come down to that two to three percent, um, they say it might happen over the next twelve to eighteen months, but that's still relatively long term, especially sure. for 
you know, more lower income families who are, you know, who are like, for example, on tighter budget. But um, even then, it's a good sign that at least they're coming down. Right. And this, and this bill is expected to help with it if it gets passed. And that's a whole other thing. And, you know, just I just want to hit the recession thing for a second. Well, the White House said, well, I think it was Brian Deese who said that the, oh, the two quarters of negative GDP, of GDP going down, is not technical definition of recession, which is just wrong. Now, the White House doesn't want to say we're in recession for obvious reasons. I don't blame them. But, you know, as, as Noah Smith, a former writer for Bloomberg, pointed out, there's, there's like the layperson's definition of recession, which is what this is. There's the academic definition. There's the pure economist definition. And if the White House wants to have an argument on whether we should be classified the meaning of recession, that's fine. But this is not good messaging. It's not helpful. It's, it's outright, it is lying when they say it's not the technical, technical definition. I agree. But on the other hand, if you tell the public that, you know, we're in a recession, tensions and fears over that might actually plummet us even deeper into economic crisis. But I do agree that it's very misleading. I think from the White House and even Jerome Powell to basically say, sorry, even after two growths of uh, GDP decrease, you know, okay, we're not in a recession. I think there was a recession when Eisenhower ran. You know, he won re-election despite the recession. Recessions aren't always like 2008. You know, we've forgotten that fact because I think we're so scarred from 2008, which, you know, rightly scarred. And so the White again, the White House wants to make the argument that the idea of recession is overblown, or at least is like is made out to be this big scary thing that isn't always 2008, and it should be. There's more factors to consider when thinking about a recession in general. That's fine. Again, the messaging here, though, they chose to go with is not good. And they should reroute, like change course immediately. But you know, they don't want to hobble the bill, this Inflation Reduction Act. They don't want to hobble the terms. And so I get where they're coming from. And no, this doesn't make Kareem Jean Pierre like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Kelly McEnany. It just makes the entire like White House look, you know, just stupid. So no, they're not Trump. This isn't Trump like, it's just stupid. That concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.